It's good to see all of you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Today is an incredibly special day for a lot of reasons. 12 years ago today, I rolled into Corpus Christi not knowing one person, literally on this day. 26 years ago, I was buried alive inside of a house in Florida City, Hurricane Andrew hit on the 24th, and it was on this day that I actually hitchhiked and showed up at my apartment, which was, a, which was condemned. The entire west side of the building was blown into the hallway, and I had to live in that condemned apartment building, and it was ultimately in that dark, dark moment of, of me being at my very end that I cried out to Jesus. I wrote about it on my Facebook and uh, stole a video that actually my buddy Ray had shared, which was awesome because he reminded me about it. And uh, that moment 26 years ago today was a life-changing moment for me because of Hurricane Andrew. Then, 12 years ago today, I'd roll into Corpus Christi not knowing anyone. I talked a little bit about that on my Facebook page as well. And then, of course, it was a year ago today that our we went through Hurricane Harvey, and not only was all the coastal bent in Houston impacted incredibly, incredibly, in an incredible way. But I lost my business. We lost our coffee shop in Port Aransas. When I went through Hurricane Andrew at the time, it was the most costly and devastating hurricane, Category 5, to hit the United States. It did $30 billion worth of damage. That was pre-Katrina, and that was pre-Harvey. Harvey would turn out to be the largest, most catastrophic and costly hurricane to ever hit the United States at a cost of $130 billion. And so we rebounded from the hurricane, and we built, rebuilt our coffee shop. We, uh, my wife wrote about that and shared some of it on her blog, and I shared that as well. It's incredible what's happened over the course of the last year. We almost didn't rebuild our coffee shop in Port Aransas. I had a moment a moment, a small little sliver of a moment where I thought I wasn't going to rebuild. And then I knew that the Lord wanted us to. And in turn, not only did we come back, but we made record a record year of all time ever come back. And I want to say thanks to, publicly say thanks to everyone in Port Aransas and everyone that supported us. Many of you came out, shoveled debris, you put masks on. Uh, Melody was out there night and day praying for people and delegating teams. Uh, my buddy Taylor was out there making cowboy-style coffee for a month. Many of my staff and employees were there. Pre-hurricane, I had 18 employees. Post-hurricane, I didn't lose one. I had all 18 four months later when we reopened on uh, December December 31st, January 1st of this year, we reopened. And I want to also publicly say thanks to all my staff and to my managers, Matt and Sarah, who are getting married in November. They have been total rock stars. And you don't see them a lot on Sundays because they choose to work. And I tell them I would rather you be here, but they take such great care of that business. And uh, once the off season comes, you'll start to see them a whole lot more. But we're still winding down summer out there. Of all the, th the things that I have ever gone through and ever faced, two hurricanes, and of course being in prison, I've shared my testimony many, many times. I got busted for drugs going to Grateful Dead concert and uh, was facing a mandatory minimum of 18 months. I would wind up spending one year in prison, and it, was, it wound up being one of the best years of my entire life. I learned how to read the Bible. I learned how to tutor illiterates, and in turn, I used that entire year really as a year of being in Bible school. It was awesome, and my life would change mightily because of that moment. And learning how to respond in difficult and dark times has been the key. It's learning to trust Him no matter what you face. It's learning to stay the course no matter what you're going through. It's knowing God's loving kindness and knowing how much He cares for you in everything. That's why when Paul said, no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit, it means that you would have an understanding of what it really means to have Jesus as Lord. 
It means you don't just confess it, but you understand it because of what he's done for you. And you understand that you can go where you're going because of where you've been and what he's brought you through. And God has brought every single person in this sanctuary through something. In fact, God, thousands of years ago, paid the ultimate price. If he did nothing ever again, he's already done enough. And in the midst of our darkest hour, while we were yet sinners, the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and Christ died for us. And so I've experienced a lot of difficulty and hardship. And two years ago, we experienced one of the most difficult things we could ever face. And there's one person I want to honor above all who's truly become my hero who's truly become the one that has represented resilience in the midst of the storm, that bounced back through something that's a thousand times harder than anything I, by myself, have ever been through. And though what we faced together was incredibly difficult, what she endured and what she went through was totally supernatural, and how she overcame it is a picture of the bride of Christ overcoming in the midst of this dark world. That's what my wife has become. She has become a legacy to me. And last service, I gave her these tulips, seven tulips that are white. I gave her these seven tulips because they are a picture of what her life looks like to me and what is coming for her. Seven is a number of rest. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. All of our ultimate destination today is the rest that God provides. It's rest. Not when Jesus comes back, though we'll really rest then. But there remains a rest for the people of God now. And God wants to lead us to lead from a position of rest and to trust him. And that's what's coming to my wife's life. These tulips represent a couple of things. They represent purity. They represent holiness. They represent promise. Not Solomon in all of his glory and splendor was not arrayed as one of these tulips. Yet God cared more about Solomon God cares more about you than the sparrow. He sees every sparrow, not a sparrow falls to the ground and God doesn't know it. How much more does he care for you? And God cares so much for my wife and he loves her dearly. And my wife for my life and for this church and the kingdom of God is a beautiful picture of overcoming and love and promise and hope. And with that, let's welcome her and honor her, Amber Bendette. He told me, step into the light more. <laughs> From the, am I in the light? Okay, good. Can you hear me good? Okay. So last night, in typical fashion, David decides to lean over in the midst of chaos of our lives with the kids playing. I think it would be a good idea for you to speak tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to speak about, um, but, you know, being that it's the two-year anniversary, I knew that I should think of something and I didn't want it to be I knew I could say a bazillion things and I didn't want it to be something that I just know by memory I wanted to to be a right now word from the Lord um, and so before I went to bed I literally had no time I was so tired by the time we got the kids to bed and I laid down I said okay Lord <laughs> I am going to speak but I would really appreciate if it were your words and not mine and um and I really just want to hear what you want me to say tomorrow because I was struggling so much from the enemy. Uh, and if you're visiting, you just need to realize that I'm raw and transparent and normal. This is me. So <clears throat> you won't get a professional speech right now. Um, just wanted to get that aside. Um, <laughs> 
I had been struggling, well, just dealing with thoughts. You know how the enemy's always just putting thoughts in your mind. Um, and all week, I knew we were approaching her anniversary of when she was born. And any time that I thought, any time that I had an ounce of inspiration to share something about it or feel like I should write or think about if I should preach on Sunday, the enemy would bombard me with, it's been two years already. Nobody cares. You've talked too much about it. Um, there's nothing else to say. Um, you should be over it by now. But I knew, it's like I knew better, but it's, it just, I just kind of let it play out in my mind throughout the week and just kind of pushed it to the side and just ignored the whole thing and, and, and all, honestly. And then, so last night when I prayed that, I said, could you please just let it be in my dream? Because between now and then, I don't have a lot of time. And I need, <laughs> and I need you to talk to me. Because tomorrow I have the kids, and you know how it is with a four- and five-year-old. You're not going to be like, yes, I hear from you. Um, so I was, I went to bed. And in my dream, a man came up to me shouting. And now I feel like the Lord is telling me that that was Jesus shouting at me. Not in a mean way, but in a very passionate way. He was shouting 1 Corinthians 1.31. Which I asked for a specific verse. Um, and I kept telling David, I have nothing else to say. Like everyone knows our story. We live it out open. I've wrote about it. I've spoke on a podcast. I've been on the radio. I mean, how many more times can I talk about it? And then it was like, I woke up and read this and I knew the verse, but I didn't know the actual script, scripture reference, if that makes any sense. Like I, rem I remember the phrase, but I had to get up in the morning and look it up. And when I read it, I felt silly because it says, the one who boasts most, um, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. And I thought to myself, how silly is it that I would actually think that I could not boast enough of the Lord's goodness? so good and the fact that I didn't want to come up because it was uncomfortable and it always is not the speaking part but the subject matter <laughs> um it's is not good and um it was just really just a it was like he was passionately screaming like boast of my goodness boast in everything I've done that's what people need to hear and I thought about the lies that the enemy was telling me and how many of you have experienced loss. And um, I'm sure at some point you felt like you shouldn't keep talking about it or you should be over it by now. But I feel like the scripture is just saying, even when everything isn't working out perfectly, he hasn't redeemed every part of your story yet in the way you thought he should, he is still so good. And to just boast on the things he has done. And in the first service, I had my best friend who was sitting up there ball her eyes out because I talked about one glimpse. I'm just going to boast on a few of the things that he's done in the last two years. And <laughs> the starting crying thing. Okay. Um, my best friend had tried for seven or eight years to um, have a baby. 
it go, they go through the foster to adopt um, system and they so happen to get to adopt a little boy and girl. But the significance is the little girl um, would have been born the same week within days of Eden. And they uh, were able to adopt them, which is actually a huge deal in the foster system. Um, and that they named her middle name Eden. And every time I see her, I think of how Eden would have looked at that age. And it's funny, the similarity, because she has hair. The chubby legs. <laughs> my kids, I mean, Cadence was like that. So there's just so many similarities, and she's so full of life. And I just, it might not seem like a big deal to you, but... Can't make that stuff up. Can't plan it in your best day. The timing, looks, it's not a coincidence. Um, and I just see the joy and her desire being fulfilled. And I'm so overwhelmingly happy. And it's just carry on the legacy of our daughter in the midst of that. And that's just one small thing. And so, sorry, this is too long. I'm going to try to... Um, Whenever it happened, whenever we lost her and we were in the hospital room, I was at my bottom, obviously. I was at a complete loss of self and strength. And up until that point, it's not like my life had been perfect, and I've told you guys this part, but I had never really had to like depend on the Lord for survival. Like I just felt like subconsciously, I'm going to be honest, and I felt like everything I had done or accomplished to that point was in my own strength. Um, I got my master's. I, you know, was teaching. Um, I overcame a lot of odds and obstacles in my life. And I felt like it's because I worked hard enough and I was good enough and I made good choices and I was rational <laughs> and all of these things. And I know that that's not the truth, but in that matter, I'm being honest with you. That's a subconscious thing that I felt because I was always good. I wasn't always perfect. Don't hear that. <laughs> I made lots of mistakes. But overall, I was good, and I felt like that's what led me to success in my life. And then this tragedy hit, and I was completely broken. And it's that time that the verse that says, my grace is made sufficient in your weakness, was made so evidently clear. I've never understood that verse as much as I do now, because the word grace in that scripture means empowerment. So he physically and supernaturally took over my body and filled that room with light and took over for me. And that might sound crazy to you, but that's what happened. And that's my story. And I can't, <laughs> you know, I, I can only tell you that's what happened to me and that I believe it could happen for you in your darkest moment. And so I, I know that verse to be true. And now going forward two years, the type A in me wants to keep reverting back to how I used to, to do things, which is keep working hard, strive, strive, strive. And it's gotten me into some really bad days. I had my first anxiety attack just weeks ago where my hand was tingling and I thought I was having a crisis and then I realized I was having anxiety. So it can happen to anyone. I know the word. I walk in the spirit. But if you give the devil even a day to work, 
you can be covered in anxiety. And anxiety, I realize now, is really just a lie saying that for some reason it's up to you to make everything happen. And that you can actually do it in your own strength. It's funny now thinking about it. But and at the time, I, was, I really thought like everything was on me. I just need to rearrange my schedule more. But it's, and I kept rearranging the schedule and it never happened until I finally realized that I had to lay things down. Because if anything causes stri uh, striving, um, pressure, lack of peace, everything that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, joy, if it's robbing you of any of those things, his grace and empowerment is not there for you. That thing is not there for you, and it's time to lay it down. And what I've realized most in the significance of the seven um, is that this is my season of full rest and not to revert back. And that's kind of the part of the, her legacy is like, let's not repeat what happened before and let's remember what the whole process taught you. I'm being, I'm being so transparent. It's an everyday thing. With grief, with overcoming, it's every day remembering the truth in his promises and remembering what grace and empowerment means. So anytime, like even with writing, um, I felt like the Lord wanted me to write a children's book for her um, in her honor. And I did write the book. And then I felt like over time he wanted me to try to start learning to paint and illustrate the book. So I started doing that. But even in the creativity and the doing, I let it rob my peace because I let it become like pressure that I had to finish this book I have to paint every day and if I don't I'm going to be grumpy with everyone else and I'm going to shush it <laughs> and then I'd be like you're not giving me enough time I have to get this done right now and if I don't get and then I realized like seriously you're making a book in her honor the very thing that you have overcome like newsflash do you want to produce a book with that behind it that was produced under stress and pressure? No. I want to create the book as it comes to me because if the grace and the um, inspiration and the time is there, if the grace is there, his empowerment, then every it'll be natural. And so it's like with everything, writing, speaking, painting, whatever, my new mentality is just like, if the grace is there, it'll happen. And it really is that simple. And that's all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, why is it every time you cry, you have to blow your nose? I mean, I am wondering why I always have snot and boogers coming out when I'm crying. Can anybody explain that to me? Google it. We'll Google it later, right? So... Um, A lot of people ask me over the course of time, like, how did we start this church? Or how did we get our coffee shops? Or how did we get to where we're at? How did, you know, I go from living on the streets in prison to where I am today? A lot of people see the adversity and the difficulties and they wonder, you know, what did we do to get to where we're at? And I realized that I actually really didn't do anything every single thing that happened to me was because of the kindness of the Lord for my life. And because I chose in the midst of those difficult, dark times to respond to his reaching out to me all day long. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord stretches forth his hand for us all day long. He's always thinking. 
the thoughts that he has for us, that the purpose and the desire of what he thinks towards us are more than the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, which means he's always thinking about you, which means he's always desiring you. He's always longing for you and he's always reaching out for you. And in my best day, I never could have done anything that I've done. In my best day, I could never have opened up the door for myself to get the coffee shops or for this church to have happened. And I share the story a lot, but the main thing is to understand that in every difficult, dark situation, whether you're battling addiction, whether you're battling uh, your future, your life stage, where you're at now, if you have a question mark on your life and you don't know what you're supposed to do, if you feel like you're in the most difficult, darkest place you've ever been, or even if you're in a great place, even if things are going well for you and your job and your health and you don't have a crisis situation going on. What I've learned is to always maintain a response of worship and praise and love and trust in the midst of it and know that Jesus really is Lord. Because again, that understanding that Jesus is Lord is this understanding that he cares so much about you and that he has the very best for you, that he has a hope and a plan and a future for your life. All I have to do is surrender to it. See, the price has already been paid. All you have to do is receive it. And God loves and cares so much about you that even when it seems like your lights are going to be cut off, even when it seems like your car is going to be repoed, even when it seems like you can't pay your rent or you're going to be homeless, I have been there. And many of you have been there as well. Even in those most difficult, darkest moments, God uses the tension to produce a faith and a trust inside of you to reveal his love and his kindness and care for you. That's what he does. He commands light. The Bible says that the Lord hovers like a mother hen over the void and the darkness of the earth, which is a picture of your life in your darkest moment. And he commands light to come out of it because you are made of light. Every single thing and every fiber of our being is light and sound. Even though we were created from the dust of the earth, he spoke us into existence. He, his word is light. And now through Christ in us, we become the light of the world. We now become the light of the world because Christ is inside of us. So no matter what you're facing in your marriage, in your home with addiction or struggles or challenges, the forgiveness and the kindness and the mercy of the Lord is always available for you. It was always available for me. And in fact, it'll always be available for you in the future until he comes back. That's why Isaiah 53, 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. He can be found right now. He can be found and he wants to be found and he wants to be understood and he wants to be known, but he wants us to never glory or praise in our own strength. He never wants us to come to the place where we think I did it. I arrived. I made it happen. The world system pr promotes career. The world system pr promotes being financially stable. The world system promotes success that's different than God's success. God's definition of success, if you actually look up the Hebraic mindset of success, it's to be mentally put together. Because when you think right, you live right. But if this is screwed up, it doesn't matter how much money or wealth or possessions you have. Learn what I'm teaching you today. Because what God does first is he puts you into a wholeness, into a sound mind. That's what he did for the, for the lame man sitting at the gate called beautiful. The Bible says he was made whole. That's what it means to be saved. So when you cry out and say, Lord, save me. When I cried out, 
in, in pure and utter brokenness and desperation, sitting in a four-story apartment with destruction everywhere and a hundred degree heat and mosquitoes and warm water and the drugs and the crystals and no one was there to bring me comfort. I was all alone. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. And my cry was authentic because what God wants is authenticity. That's why he takes you as you are right now. Don't believe the deceptive lie that you got to make yourself better. Don't believe the deceptive lie that you have to change yourself. Don't believe the deceptive lie that you got to be more religious. Don't believe the deceptive lie that you can work yourself into recovery because behavior modification will kill you. Only being spiritual and hooked to the vine. Hooked to the vine. Everybody say hooked to the vine. Jesus said you can do nothing. Not one thing. Nothing. Nothing. Zero. Not a zilch without me. And so we understand and we recognize that every good thing that God has given us, no matter where you're at, the clothes you wear, the food you'll eat, and I don't care if it's from a rescue mission, all of it came from God. The Bible says nothing was created without him. And by him and through him, all things were made through Jesus. Everything. The chair you sit on, the lights, everything was created by the ultimate light when he spoke his word and breathed everything that we see into existence. So we understand even in our hurting, most difficult times, even in our question mark moments of doubt and uncertainty, God reveals himself because he already did it. It's already there. Revelation is finally seeing for the first time what you've been looking at the whole time. Revelation is always before us. That's why Paul prayed to the church of Ephesus that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you know the depth and the breadth of his love for you. That God never gave up. He never quit. He was always coming after you from the foundations of the world. He was always coming after you. So God cares about your situation. God cares about your difficult moment. God cares for you and he's sympathetic. Because we have a high priest now that's passed through the heavens. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is caring and sympathetic. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, never, ever, ever, ever forget Hebrews 4.16. Learn it. Live it. Breathe it. Every minute of every day. And understand that we have an ever-present help in the time of trouble. And we have a high priest that we can come to when, for, when we're, we need help in the time of need. And you know when you need help in the time of need? Every, every breath, every minute, every second of every day. God in his mercy and his kindness loves you and he's full of loving kindness and he's full of care and tenderness and joy, but only the people that understand him and know that can boldly proclaim it and it's from an authentic place. God wants authenticity. He wants to build a story in your life. So where that question mark is, where that tension is, where your flesh is rising up, when you want to complain, when you want to get offended, when you want to run away, when you want to quit, it's in the tension that God produces faith inside of you and you respond and build a story. Oh, we'd all like to have millions of dollars. We'd all like to win the lottery. We'd all like to have everything seeming to go good for you. But let me assure you, if you had all those things, you could still be miserable because I know millionaires that are miserable. Money doesn't buy success and happiness. It's being mentally put together in the love and the power of Christ inside of you, inside of you. We got to stop looking, say, saying, God, come, come, come. He's already came. He will come again. But when you get born again, he's dwelling inside of you. You have a full-grown Jesus in you now when you're born again. You get every benefit that he has now. You learn what I'm teaching you. 
Because we've got this false thing that says, God, I know you're out there somewhere. And even though I've confessed you and professed you, I'm just waiting for you to come. And he says, I'm already in you. Understand Christ, the hope of glory in you. Everybody say, in me. And so God in his love and his kindness is commanding light to shine out of you. It's the word for glory in the Hebrew. The word for glory in the Hebrew, I know it so well because it's the Strong's Concordance number 1984. And I remember 1984. In fact, that's the year my wife was born, 1984, right here. It's the word halal. And the word halal means to express incredible, magnificent praise. And really what it means is light shine bright. It means to, for rays of light to per, per, permeate and penetrate and come out of your heart, your mouth, your eyes. It's to shine bright with the glory of the Lord. But there's a scripture that puts that word into two contexts. And it's Jeremiah 9.23. The first context of this word is that a man trusting in himself and his own abilities. It's in a man thinking that my wisdom, my might, and my wealth got me to where I am. And the Lord says, if you're going to boast, don't boast in that. In fact, this word of self-praise, it's really self-praise. Look what I've done. Oh man, let me give you the 25 steps and the 35 bullet points so I can massage your brain and get you into behavior modification to be successful. Let me tell you all the great things I did to get my coffee shop in this church. And it would be a deceptive lie to think for a second in my own ability and my own strength, I could have done it. Because if it wasn't for the power of Christ inside of me, I probably would be an adulterer. I probably would have cheated. I'd probably be addicted or I'd be dead or I'd be in prison. I have nothing that I have right now. Not one thing. And in my best day, I was never that good. You get it? In our best day, we're never that good. So how could we think I'm wiser than God? How could we think in my own intellect, I'm better and bigger and smarter than he is? And we allow our wisdom and our might and our strength to come before him. And in turn, subtly, we self-praise ourselves. It's deceptive religion. It's deceptive religion. It's this thing that tries to make you a better person. It's this thing that gives you, I've had people leave this church because I don't give four points to success. Or I'm not giving you the five points to being a better. You fill in the blank. Your best you. Your best you has to die. There's point number one, and there's point number hundred. One to a hundred is just die now. Because when we die to self and we lay our own image and our own identity and our own glory and our own boasting of ourself, when we lay that down, God says, I delight in you. God says, boast in me. Be, be proud and confident in what I have done in your, night, in your life, not pride in your own self. And so this scripture is powerful because it says, let a not a wise man glory, let not a rich man or a mighty man glory in his might, wisdom, or in your riches, the rich man glory in his riches. Another meaning for the word halal means to be a fool. It means to be a fool. It's a certain type of praise. It's extravagant. It's I'm lifting my hands and I'm going to dance. and I'll even wave them around sometimes and it'll look really, really silly but I don't really care and neither should you. This type of praise is extravagant. This is what Jesus did when Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
He was extravagant in his praise and his dance and his worship before God. It literally can mean to be a fool. But in this context of this scripture, this means you're a fool for trusting in your own self. This means that you're, you become a fool for self. And anybody that trusts in themselves is a fool. That's what that means. I'm just showing it to you in scripture. But there's something better to come because God says, I want you to be a fool. But I want you to be a fool for Christ. Because people were saying that Paul was out of his mind and the way that he loved with the extravagance and the way that he boasted and who God was, they said he's a fool. And so if you look at verse 24, God says, if you're gonna boast, I want you to boast in this. If you're gonna be a fool, if you're gonna praise anything or anyone, be a fool for Christ and praise and boast in that you understand and know him. In all of your getting, the Bible says. Listen, in all of your getting, your next paycheck, apartment, car, spouse, I don't care what it is. In all of your getting, nothing matters more than gaining understanding in who the Lord is. He wants to be known. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm proclaiming it from the rooftops. God wants to be known. You say, well, he's such a mystery. Why is he so far? He doesn't want to be so far. He wants to be known. Look at the scripture. He wants us to be able to confidently and boldly say, I understand and know the ways of God. And it may be so small, but whatever he's taught me, whatever he's given me through my own life experiences and study of the word and hearing his voice, I boldly proclaim that he is full of love and life and power and justice, and he ultimately produces something on earth. And so God wants us to open our mouths. He wants us to bold. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. God wants to be understood and he wants to be known. And when we make our priority, gaining understanding and knowing him, how? Secret place, intimacy, personal relationship, Christ inside of you, disciplined disciples, worshipers, trusting, having faith, not first putting obedience, because if you live a life where you're focused on obedience, you've got the cart before the horse. Because faith is the foundation of everything. Without faith, you can accomplish nothing. And because of my faith and my trust and my love and my relationship, my passionate burning heart wants to be obedient. So when I do something that's contrary to his will or I miss the mark, which is called sin, conviction settles in and I go, I missed it. Lord, forgive me. He's forgiving. We've missed it with our own kids. We have to teach our kids every day that they, that they have to forgive each other because they're four and five and they steal each other's toys. And they, my, my four-year-old still can't grasp that boys don't hit girls. I mean, I, we have said it. So I'm like, say this time, boys don't hit girls. Boys don't hit girls. Smack. Like five minutes later, he's like punching her. They're four and five. That's that nature that has to die. And so we teach them, we love them, but more than anything, what we teach them is forgiveness, even when we make our own, even when we, we make mistakes with them. Yesterday, my wife was cleaning the house. She had piles of, you know, stuff from the floor, dust and things we picked up. She goes upstairs to get the dustpan. My son comes along, grabs the broom. It's got lint and hair all over. 
and he starts just whacking the piles and dirt and dust going everywhere. And my wife came down and she was so mad. I'm telling on you right now. She was so mad that she got onto him and he's so sensitive. He got this big, he has what's, what I call the lip. He gets a big lip, bows his head, and man, here come the tears, roaring like a lion. And he's like, all I wanted to do was help. And what he was really, t- we tell on ourselves a lot, listen, real and raw is what you get at Rock City. But let me tell you the moral of the story is we got to apologize to him because he learns from us that even we make mistakes sometimes and we felt bad, but we asked him to forgive us and he had to learn to forgive and he was still sensitive. He cried for too long. And I'm like, now say, now listen, you tell mama you're, that you forgive her and we forgave. We demonstrate what we live and forgiveness is one of the most powerful things you'll ever teach your children. You want to teach your children something powerful? You know who got, who wanted to teach you something powerful? The father in his love and mercy teaches you one of the greatest things It's called forgiveness. And he says to forgive 70 times seven. And that's every day. Every day. 70 times seven. It's not like, okay, get your clicker. You got a lifetime of 490 times. And when you hit 490, it's empty. I mean, 490 in a day? We walk in massive amounts of forgiveness because the Lord has done it for me. So when I was in a prison cell, when I was ate up with drugs and alcohol, when I was thrown to the side, when I had nothing and no one, Jesus came to the rescue. Now my prayer is that my kids and your kids never go through what we went through. So what I do is I boldly tell my story. I don't, it's not, there's no shame in your story ever. God redeemed you. God re- rescued you. He promoted you. He healed you. He strengthened you. You should have been dead by now. You should have spun out by now. But God in his love and his mercy saved you. And now all the millennials, all the next generations, the generations coming can look up to us and hear our stories and learn, I never have to go that way. Will they have to have tension? I don't know what it's going to be. But I pray it's not the same tension I went through or many of our kids went through. Right? So we boast and we glory and we become fools for Christ because people are going to tell you you're a fool. People are going to look at you and say what you're doing is foolish, foolishness. People are going to look at you. You're going to be persecuted, but so what? We break the fear of man. We break shame and we authentically step into our identity, not for a paycheck, not for a title. Are paychecks important and titles important? Yes, but not as important as doing it authentically from who you are and letting God promote you because you can never, ever, ever promote yourself in God's kingdom, ever. Now you can, you can measure up and strive in performance at work to be, if you perform well, you have your performance evaluation and they say, I'm going to promote you. I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to make you a manager. That's the world system. And that's understandable. But in the kingdom, we understand that God promotes the least, the least. So if you think yourself as the least, If you think you're insignificant, you are ready and ripe for great promotion. It's so contrary to the world system. It's so contrary to 
to corporate church system. It's like, you know what? We humble ourselves. We take the low road and we serve because Jesus said, if any of you desires to be great, if any of you desires to be great, let him become a servant to all and become the least of all. That's why in Philippians chapter two, Paul says this powerful statement. It's in the first like verse four or something right around there. He says, I'll paraphrase it for you. He says, think the way Jesus thought. Now, if the Bible ever says, think the way Jesus thought, you got my attention. Here's what it says. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and became a servant to all men and in turn, made himself of no reputation and became, took the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. So go back a verse. As children of God, it's not robbery to take hold. As sons and daughters, you get a rightful inheritance just like Jesus got, Romans 8, 15 through 20. You're a joint heir now, and it's not robbery, but only when you're in the form of God. You know the form of God? No reputation, humility, servant to all, least of all, and laying your life down. Because the scripture goes on to say, who went to the cross, laid his life down, therefore God highly exalted him. I want to exalt my kids for the kingdom, not so that they can be great and have a reputation. I don't have to make Jesus famous. Jesus was, is already famous. Let me just tell you. Jesus is already famous. The fame of Jesus spread everywhere because of the way he loved and because of the nature and identity and character of who he was. It automatically justifies it. Wisdom is justified by our children. What makes Rock City Church powerful is not how many people got saved, not how many people are coming, none of that. What makes this church powerful is a people that respond in intimacy to Christ and are transformed into his image and likeness. And now when you walked out of these, these doors, the way you loved your kids, your wife, your family, your coworkers, the demonstration of your life, because wisdom's justified by her children. The nature and identity of who you are makes you powerful. You never have to promote yourself. God does what he does best. And he raises you up as sons and daughters. So yeah, I want my children to be exalted in the kingdom of God for his name's sake, not for their name's sake. Because that's what God wants for his kids. You're his kid. You are his kid. You are his son and daughter. If you've ever had parents or ever had kids, you'll understand this. More, you'll understand it more. The love I have for my kids, he's got even greater love. And the way I look for them and the way I long for them, I can't get enough hugs and kisses and quality time. When they turn their gaze to me, when, when Cadence last week with Brad McClendon during worship, she sat here on these stairs and for the first time ever, she stared at me and we locked eyes for worship and I wept and I cried as she smiled because she probably wanted nothing more than her daddy's gaze. He wants nothing more. Get past the religious stuff. He wants you. 
just like you would want your child. That's the love of a father. That's the father's love. And he takes you just as you are, by the way. Never forget, I'll say it over and over and over again, right where you're at. Just like you are right now, in the midst of darkness, struggles, challenges, difficulties, tension, a story, a beauty, a son, a daughter is born. So God wants us to become of no reputation. And then in turn, he gives us a great reputation. And it's a reputation that boasts proudly, go back to 924, Jeremiah 924, it's a reputation that because of who we have become, listen to me, because of your intimacy, your love, your communion with God, your character produces three things on earth. Number one, loving kindness. Everything starts with loving kindness. You know what loving kindness is? It's loyal love. It's love between a spouse that would never, ever give up. It's love between people that are committed for life. It's loyal love that says, I'm loyal to you no matter what you do, no matter where you go. It's the highest form of love. It's agape love that takes no consideration of the money you have, the clothes you wear, the way you look, the value you have, where you came from. It's loyal love that is committed and trusting, that's sacrificial the way Jesus was. That's what loving kindness means. And the life of Christ that's produced inside of you on earth first reveals the loving kindness of God. It's loyal love that God has had for me and he's had for you in all your darkest moments. In every difficult situation you've ever faced, God has remained loyal to you in love. And it causes us to repent and change the way we think and cry out to God for mercy and cry out for forgiveness because God could have loved you and did love you through every shortcoming you ever had. And I will shout it, boast it, glory in it from the rooftops. And the second thing is judgment. This word judgment is a word that's so skewed and so misunderstood. Let me give you another term for it that'll help you understand the word judgment. It's the word justice. And what the word justice says is every wrong thing I've ever done, every crooked path I've ever made, God has made straight and forgiven and corrected. Now, when I was a con man, when I robbed women of their virginity, when I was sleeping around and chasing this and chasing that and doing drugs and getting high and stealing and robbing and thieving, when I was one of the greatest con men I ever knew, God brought judgment to my life that aligned me, forgave me, corrected me, and set me on a right path. Judgment is not something to be afraid of. In fact, the better thing to do is say, God, judge me now. This is 1 Corinthians 11 says, if we would judge ourselves, we won't come under the judgment of the world. So I say, judge me now. Have mercy now, Lord, because I can't do it without you. I can do nothing without you. Without you, I'm a total, complete failure. But with you, I'm a son. Correct me, align me, refine me, expose it. Because it's by your mercy and by your stripes that I'm healed. And what you did on the cross, what you did on the cross, my most difficult day pales in comparison to that. That's why I tell people, just die now. Just die now. 
And dying now means, Lord, I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow after you. It's not about me, myself, and I, and I never could get to where I'm at, and I'm never going to go to where I'm supposed to go if it isn't for you. And only you can put me where I'm supposed to be. Do you get it? Do you see it? And some of you are so in anguish about your life situation, and I get it. I've lived in the worst of the worst of the worst. But God took a wretch like me when I was blind, now I see. And I'm telling you, there's a story. There's a story in your trouble. There's a story in your situation. There's a story in what you're going through. There's a story in your tension. And the tension, when responded right through faith, produces an incredible testimony that defeats the devil. Because through the blood of Jesus and your testimony, through the testing and the trying, the test, emony, you become a walking dead man. The word testimony in the Greek is martyr. It's the same word for witness. Now I'm a great light and witness and I can glory and my light can shine bright because I'm a walking dead man. Because I've already been martyred. I've already been martyred. And you're in the process of building that testimony. What God did and what he's about to do is going to drive a stake in the devil's head just like Yael did in Sisera. That enemy coming to destroy you and antagonize you and beat you down, God is gonna raise you up to destroy the wiles of the enemy. He's already done it, but now he waits for his enemy to become his footstool. And the last enemy to be defeated is the spirit of death. Two nights ago in the middle of the night, I was visited by Satan. The first time in 25 years, Satan did not know that I knew he was in that person. And by the way, it's none of y'all. Just rejoice, it wasn't you, okay? I've seen Satan many times before I gave my life to Jesus when I was following the Grateful Dead in some very dark areas, and he had tried to mark me for his own. Then after I got born again in 1999, I've shared this in the past. I, was, I had a dream where I was fishing in the sky and I hooked into big, giant principalities. I was praying erroneously. I was, thought I was a mighty man. And the devil came to me in the dream, the exact Satan. It wasn't a demon. It was him, as the Satan himself. And that night I'd go into anaphylactic shock on my 29th birthday, 1999. I'd bust all the capillaries in my eyes I would go, I would black out and be on a ventilator, ventilator tube for 12 hours and I had lost oxygen in my brain for 15 minutes. But I'm back. I'm back for the attack. <laughs> and so are you. There's always a, a story in the midst of whatever it is you're facing. And my story is, was in the overcoming and the learning and the trusting that the devil's already been defeated. I don't need to walk in fear or worry. He's already been subject under our feet. All things are subject to Christ. And if you're his body and you're born again, which you are, he's under your feet. And so he didn't know that I knew and I had no fear. In the next moment, there were people around me and a man came up to me in a black suit with a black pin tie. And I instantly recognized this man in my dream as the spirit of death. 
I opened my eyes and my hair stood up all on end in the middle of the night, two nights ago. I had no fear, but the Lord showed me. The spirit of death is trying to take down the church and the body of Christ with the cloak of carnality. But God, that's why Jesus healed so many people all the time. Because he was in the healing business and he still is. So this Wednesday, we're going to have a healing service. If you've been struggling with the spirit of death, if I've got your attention right now, if you're battling sickness, fear, if you have any fear of death in your life, I'm going to show you how the final enemy, the spirit of death, has been cast down. And the Bible says, oh, death, where is your sting? And we love not our lives, Romans or Revelation 12, 11, under the death. And so what I want you to know finally, in Jeremiah 9, 24, God brings justice to the injustice. The children that are being abused and raped and sold into human trafficking, the gang violence, the children being born in this city, the 2,500 or more homeless children are in poverty or more. God says, I'm releasing justice on the earth. I'm releasing justice. I'm releasing righteousness in the earth. The word righteousness means to be made upright. The word righteous means that I am, when I once was bowed down, I'm now revived. I'm now made upright. When I once was hunched back, when I once was crooked because of sin, I'm now made upright, and now God releases his glory in the earth through the knowledge and understanding of who he is. It's Habakkuk 2.14. This is going to be our scripture for this church right here. I'm grabbing on to Habakkuk 2.14. The earth will be covered with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Tag your it. Tag your it. Yeah. yeah. Woo. You can do it, man. You can do it. Your past doesn't define you. How you look, what you've been through, your tattoos, none of that. It pos actually positions you for greater understanding and authority in what God has for you. God trains and teaches us even in the midst of our most difficult times. And so righteousness is that in the earth, God brings justice, God brings loving kindness, because now when you once used to be the way you used to be, now he makes you to be the one that goes back like Moses did. Because Moses, when he was sent in a basket downstream and raised in the enemy's camp and was a murderer, God delivered him out and then came back and said, go back and say, let my people go. Let's say it again. Let my people go. And we are going to rescue the captives, Troy and Tiffany. We're going to rescue the captives, David. We're going to rescue the captives, Ray. We're going to rescue the captives, Jeremy. We're going to rescue the captives, Mark and Tina. We're going to do it because we're family. And now God is releasing judgment, righteousness, and loving kindness. It all starts with loyal love. And now God says, I delight in you. I delight in you. I delight in you. I delight in you. 
I delight in you. Smile big and rejoice because his love, his loyal love never fails. And now in the earth, in the earth as the waters cover the sea, God is raising up an army, a bride and a tribe. Tag, we're it. Tag, we're it. Let's all stand.